How to be free from expectations. The main thrust of the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus came to live and to die and to set us free from sin and death, both physical and spiritual, actually. But the fact is, we live in a world where others want to control us. Different voices speak into our lives on a 24-7 basis. And actually, probably the four main voices are this. The first is the voice of the world. It's our culture that, that takes us and tries to make us and mold us so we fit in and we're like everybody else. The second would be the flesh or the old nature that we have when we come to Christ and it speaks and wants to drag us back to the mud. It loves the mud. Now, we talk about that a lot around here. Thirdly, the devil is our arch enemy who wants to destroy us, wants to destroy our families, wants to draw us destroy our marriages, wants to destroy your children and your grandkids. That's what he's up to. That's his main thing. And he speaks into our life in a lot of different ways. And then fourthly, for followers of Christ, it's the Holy Spirit. He's the one that, that speaks into our life. And the question is, do we listen to his voice above all the others, actually? And our choices, our choice which voice we listen to and obey, there are many consequences to that. And one area where Jesus has come to set us free from is the expectation of others. Jesus tells us he wants us to be totally and completely free. He has called you to be you, who you are. He said, I want to set you free from the pressure to conform. The fact is there are a lot of things in life that cause us to conform. Our text today is 1 Thessalonians 2.4. We don't aim to please men, but to please God who knows us through and through. Jesus said, I want to set you free to be yourself. We spend a lot of time trying to dress like other people, act like other people, talk like other people. Years ago, there was a, a nonconformist movement. What was funny was that these nonconformists conformed to each other. They acted alike, talked alike, smelled alike, they were alike. Even unconformity, we conformed to each other. Uh, Steve and I, were at, at Elijah too, was at a leadership conference up in Maryland Community Church Saturday, and this one of the presenters was Alan Funt's daughter, and she played this clip for us speaking about conformity, and this pretty much preaches my whole message. Let's watch. The gentleman in the elevator now is a candid star. These folks who are entering, the man with a white shirt, the lady with a trench coat, and subsequently one other member of our staff will face the rear. And you'll see how this man in the trench coat <laughs> tries to maintain his individuality, but little by little, he looks at his watch, but he's really making an excuse for turning just a little bit more. To the wall. Now we'll try it once again. Here's the candid subject. Here comes the candid camera staff, three of them at least. And uh, this man has apparently been in groups before. Here's a fella with his hat on in the elevator. 
First, he makes a full turn to the rear, and Charlie closes the door. A moment later, we'll open the door. Everybody's changed positions. <laughs> now we'll see if we can use... Now we'll see if we can use group pressure for some good. Now, in a moment, on Charlie's signal, everybody turns forward. Notice... They take off their hats. <laughs> and now, do you think we could reverse the procedure? Watch. It's human nature to follow others, isn't it? Not so. A real nonconformist is one who doesn't ever been to culture, fashion, or peer pressure, who really cares less what other thinks and marches to the beat of a different drummer. And there's not too many in the world today, but my son Joshua is one. I raised that boy a Cub fan, and look at that. He's got a stinking Cardinal hat on. <laughs> he, he, Josh is Josh, and you that know him, and I love him for it. I, I, I really do. And uh, We had a couple guys in the first service that had beards like Josh's, and I don't know who rubbed off on who on that deal, but nonetheless... Uh, in all honesty, many of us feel we must be approved by other peers. I know a lot of times you, you ask people how they're going to dress for a certain thing, and as Brother Greg over here says, wear business casual, which meant to Diane's nephew, shorts and a polo. But nonetheless, it's funny when we ask that, because if we're going someplace to a party or to dinner or whatever, we want to fit in, so we want to know uh, what they're wearing. So usually anymore, if there's a, a wedding rehearsal, <clears throat> I always ask what the party's going to wear because I don't want to look like a bum, which uh, is easy for me to do, actually. How much of your life have you wasted trying to gain the approval of others? That's a question only you can answer. But it's a false belief, and it's a lie, actually. It's a lie that says our self-concept is determined not only by how we view ourselves, but how we think other people perceive us. <clears throat> Basing our self-worth on what we believe others think of us causes us to become addicted to their approval. Here's an example. Randy felt like a vending machine. Anyone that wanted anything could pull a lever and get whatever they wanted from him. On the job, Randy was always doing what other people doing other people's work for them. At home, his friends continually called on him to help them with odd jobs. His wife wanted him to work every weekend so she could support the lifestyle she'd grown accustomed to. <clears throat> Even people in Randy's church took advantage of him, knowing that he could be counted on because he was good old Randy. What was the problem? Was Randy simply a self-sacrificing saint? Sacrificing saint? On the surface, yes. In reality, no. He resented those people who, by demanding all this time from him, he had no time for himself. <clears throat> Yet he had such a desire to have the approval of others that he couldn't say no. He typifies many of us. We spend much of our time building relationships, striving to please people and win their respect. 
And after all this conscientious effort, if we hear one negative thing about us, it crushes us, it busts our balloon, and destroys everything that we had built up until that time about our own confidence. The world we live in is filled with people who demand that we please them in exchange for their approval and acceptance. And here's the sad part about that. You've been around people like that, and you know them. And once they gain control over you, they can steer you and make you do anything they want in life. You're just like a puppet. And they, they take all of who you are away from you. I must be approved by certain others to feel good about myself. You know, if, if, that, if, that, if that's what you believe, it, it, it causes us to do crazy things to be accepted by our peers. I cannot tell you how often I've done these Sometimes insane things to be accepted or liked. I am totally guilty. I stand before you this morning as a self-confessed people pleaser. And it wasn't till I reached maturity about when I was 58 years old that it, that it, that it finally dawned on me that I have to please God. That's first. And then my wife second. It took all that time for me to get there. I tell you, if you're in leadership of any kind, if you're a pastor, such as my friend Pastor Dan back there, what you have to learn early is that you can't meet everybody's expectations. Whether you're in a corporation, whether you're in a business of five people to ten people, whether you pass a church of ten or a thousand, there is nowhere on the, no way on the face of this earth that you can please everybody. You just can't do it. It's impossible. So you have to come up with something in your mind of who are you going to please. And the Scripture and the Holy Spirit had brought me to the point where I, I please God. First day of school, September 3rd, 1956. I had waited. We lived in the country, and I had waited and waited to go to the grade school on the bus because they had these two giant slides, and these slides looked like they was 100 feet high, which they weren't. I wanted to go down that slide. That was the only reason I wanted to go to school. So back in the day, back in the 50s, you were pretty fortunate if you got two new pair of jeans for school, and the denim then was about of a quarter of an inch thick, and you could take your pants off, and they'd stand over in the corner by themselves. It was just too weird. And they had great big cuffs on them. I remember them great big cuffs and whatever. So first recess, we went out. The last thing my first grade teacher, Mrs. Litch, said, do not go down the slide. So, man, I was bummed out. I was looking at that slide because it had rained and it was still wet. So right before we went in, my friend said, hey, Eddie, I bet you can't go down that slide. So, in my stiff-legged jeans like Frankenstein, I walked over and I shinnied up that, and I went down that slide, and my whole backside was pretty damp, pretty wet. And Mrs. Litch saw me, so she took me in the office and bit me over the desk and gave me three whacks. Little did I realize that that wet denim was a conductor for heat. Oh, man, that first, if you ever got a beat in that first lick, I talk about this a lot, but I've been beat quite a bit, actually, with a paddle as a kid, but uh, in school, but man, that first lick, you just can't hardly stand it. That was because I, I did what my, uh, I was trying to conform and fit in with those buddies, because they thought I was pretty cool, but the end of me down here wasn't too cool for quite a while, actually. 
I praise God that he delivered me finally from the expectation of others that control me. We all realize that, and I don't think you ever outgrow it. I think there has to come a time in your life where you just say, stop, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to be me. Here's a whiteboard presentation that kind of explains peer pressure to a degree. Let's watch. Whether you're in school or not, you're probably under a lot of pressure. Not just from all the studying and those piles of homework, but pressure from other kids. Pressure to have sex or cheat. Or maybe it's to smoke or take drugs. Of course, you know what they want you to do is bad. But at times, you may feel like you're missing out if you don't join them. You're not alone. Since the world began, young people have been dealing with peer pressure. But it doesn't mean you have to give in. The Bible has some good advice. Exodus 23.2 tells us not to just follow after the crowd. In other words, don't do something just because everyone else is doing it. Instead, be your own person. How do you get the strength to stand up to peer pressure? Here are four steps that can help. First, keep on the lookout for moral dangers and identify any situations where you might be pressured to do something wrong. If you see trouble coming your way, don't walk right into it. Find another route and avoid the problem. The second step. Stop and take the time to think. Think about the consequences before you give in to peer pressure. In Proverbs 14, 15, the Bible says, smart people watch their step. So don't just jump in and do what others say. That may be hard to do if you're trying to fit in. But that's the time to use your imagination. How will I feel later if I give in? What might be the outcome? How might my actions affect others that care about me the most? Step three, you need to plan ahead. Proverbs 24.5 says that a person who has knowledge increases his power. If you know exactly why you're saying no to something, why something is bad, it can give you the strength to say no. Now the fourth step, take action. No, you don't have to give your peers a lecture. Just say no, clearly and confidently. You may be surprised at their reaction. Each time you take a stand for what you know is right, you get stronger and stronger. And that makes it easier to resist the pressure the next time. You don't need to be rude, but you could give a reason why you wouldn't want to join in. And if they do keep pressuring you, just remember this. Giving in to peer pressure is kind of like being turned into a puppet with your peers pulling the strings. You can't hide from peer pressure, but you can stand up to it. Remember to keep on the lookout. Think about the consequences. Plan ahead, take action. Facing up to peer pressure can be scary at times. But when you do, you show the decisions you make really are your own.
concept that we have to be approved by others is a lie, then we, if, if we're snared by that, it, uh, it affects us in a lot of different ways. Believing it because, causes us to bow to peer pressure in an effort to gain approval with whatever group we are. We might join clubs or organizations hoping to find a place of acceptance. We identify ourselves with social groups believing if we buy into their philosophy and their mission, so to speak, and we act that out that they will accept it because we're acting like everybody else. And many people have admitted that their experimentation with drugs or sex is a reaction to their need to belong. And we know that drugs and being promiscuous can go down a lot of different roads, um, results in pain and guilt and a deeper need for self-worth and acceptance. And there's a jillion STDs out there. When, when I counsel young people, they, I'm sure they see me as antiquated or old, old-fashioned, stuck in my ways, call it what you will. But you know what? I, I don't believe, I don't agree with that. I, I don't agree with God's, that God's Word is antiquated, that it's old and out of date, actually. I'm referring to the fact of, of, of premarital sex. You know, God created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden in about chapter 3. I don't remember what verse. It says, and the two became one flesh. They had sex. It's the only place in a human's life where soul touches soul because it's that intimate. That is why God designed it only for marriage. And we humans, we have, a, we have written our own script on that. And here's my point. You're born a virgin. You give yourself away and away and away. Every time you have sex with somebody, you're given a piece that you'll never get back because somebody else owns it. They have it. And then you get down, and on your wedding night, you're lucky if you got one piece left to give to your husband or your wife. I rant and rave on this because it's such a big deal to me because so many people make so many mistakes, and a lot of times people are drawn into that to be accepted, be uh, uh, loved and belonged and it, I know this is foreign to a lot of younger people, but it's the truth. Case in point, when I was in Freeport, I took the study course first and then went to college second. So I was at a community college, and I was into my 40s, and I was in with all these kids, and uh, it was kind of funny. Uh, they thought I was a brown noser because I answered all the teacher's questions because talking in class didn't bother me, and here was all these kids. But anyhow... I sat with this young couple and have coffee every day for a while, and they were going together, young. And we got into this discussion, and even back then in the 80s, they didn't agree with me. Ah, you're, it, it's okay. People sleep around all the time, whatever. I said, let me ask you something. I talked to the guy. I said, let's say, let's say this afternoon you guys go down. You're, you're walking down Main Street in Freeport, Illinois. And you meet five guys that slept with your woman. Would that bother you? Oh, no. I said, well, I, I, I don't believe you. I don't believe that. You'll never have me believe that. But nonetheless, is what I'm saying, this whole concept of conformity and peer pressure has drawn people into that world, and it's wrong. Another symptom is our fear of re 
Jackson is our ability to give and receive love. We, we clam up. We don't want to open up to people because we are afraid that they won't love us for who we are. So we become isolated. We live in isolation. And the more we experience isolation, the more we need acceptance. Psychologist Eric Fromm once wrote, The deep need of man is the need to overcome separateness, to leave the prison of his aloneness. I think it's one of the most dangerous and widespread problems in America today, among others, that we have. Some estimate that loneliness has already reached epidemic proportions and say that if it continues to spread, it could seriously erode the emotional strength of our country. At a Bible conference a few years ago, it was asked that question. There was a questionnaire that people filled out. And here was a room of quite a few followers of Christ, and 92% said they were lonely. That is wild to think of the people whom Christ said in John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In the body of Christ, in a family, yet alone. It's, it's hard to put two and two together on that. Big idea in this message is we need to be free from the expectation of others. It, it helps me, to me, it makes our text make sense. We don't aim to please men, but to please God who knows us through and through. The God of grace, the God of mercy, the God that's full of agape love. He doesn't treat us like people treat us. He didn't, he, he didn't put conditions. Unconditional love is off the chart to me. I can't grasp that. And even on my worst days, when I have bad thoughts and when I sin, God still loves me and the Holy Spirit convicts me and I ask for forgiveness, which He gives me immediately and He brings me back where I need to be. We don't aim to please men, but to please God who loves us or knows us through and through and loves us through and through and through and through and through. And in the immortal words of Buzz Lightyear, to infinity and beyond. For the most part, our modern society has responded inadequately to rejection and loneliness. Our response has been outer directing, meaning that we try to copy the customs, the dress, and the ideas and the behavioral patterns of specific groups that we might fit in. I think if I was president that I'd make it mandatory that men and women just wore bibs and flannel shirts every day. That's, it's not going to work like that, and we know that. Here's the problem. We want security that we desperately seek. We want to know that we fit in, that we are accepted, that we are loved. And you know what? Only God can do that completely. Only God. But yet we'll go to other places to try to get that need fulfilled, and it's impossible. It's not going to happen. Especially if you're in a group that's real controlling, and if you don't do exactly what they say when they say, you're, you're out or you're not going to fit in. We, we've all been there. I, I understand that. But turning to others for what only God can provide is a direct result of our acceptance of Satan's lie, which is this. Self-worth equals performance plus others' opinions. That, that's, that's, that's his lie. Living according to the false belief, I must be approved by certain others to feel good about myself. 
causes us to fear rejection and conforming to virtually anything that comes our way around us. Have you been affected by this belief? We're going we're to take a test this morning, and if, if you've got a pen or a pencil, get that out right now, and as I read these questions, there's a scoring list, and you write down the number in your life that applies to that question, and then on the way out, where the bulletins are, there's a scoring sheet, and there's a little paragraph for every score that tells you who you are, pretty much, to a, to a degree. So let's read each one of these statements, and then from the top of the of the test, you choose the term that best describes your response. One is always, two's very often, three is often, four sometimes, five seldom, very seldom is six, and never is seven. So you just write those numbers down, and then you total them up, and then on the way down, you can see how you scored. First question, I avoid certain people. You put one through seven down. When I sense that someone might reject me, I become... Nervous and anxious. Three says, I am uncomfortable around those who are different from me. Four, it bothers me when someone is unfriendly to me. I am basically shy and unsocial. I am critical of others. I find myself trying to impress others. I become depressed when someone criticizes me. I always try to determine what people think of me. And in 10, I don't understand people and what motivates them. So you you add those totals up. And like I said, on the way out, you can pick up one of those scoring sheets. And my score was 50, actually. I did this. And I lied on a couple of them, but I knew you guys wouldn't mind. But anyhow. Uh, especially on number five, I am basically shy and unsocial. So, uh, anyhow, honestly, I think all of us fear rejection to a degree, don't we? I'd say probably the biggest majority of it has been placed in a situation like that. Where you walk in and you're the only one. You're not like the others. You know, there used to be a thing on Sesame Street about picking the one that wasn't like the others. But, but I think that happens to us. It, it doesn't matter whether it's, it, it's a racial situation where you walk in and all these other people in the room are from another nation, Allie, and you're the only one like you. And you look around, and I think you look for a friend or you look for, for something, but it, it's, just a, uh, it's just a different feeling. Rejection can trigger certain problems in life. Problems like this. Anger, resentment, hostility. Being easily manipulated, a codependency on somebody else because they are your controller, avoiding people, control, depression, repeat of negative messages. You keep telling the same stories over this person hurt me, this person hurt me. And you tell them over and over, you're in, a, you're in a rut, you can't get out of it. And hypersensitivity to the opinion of others. Whatever somebody says, you, you bank on that. And if they say something negative, it just, it just crushes you. and It ruins your whole day. One of the greatest relaxing decisions of life when you discover that Jesus wants to set you free from the conformity of performing for others. And one of the things about giving your heart to Christ, it, it simplifies your life. It cuts all this other clatter out because you answer to an audience of one which is 
with God, all of a sudden you just say, I'm going to center in on pleasing God. Because if I am pleasing the Lord, it will always be the right thing to do. If I am pleasing God, it will never be wrong. Regardless of what other people think, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Regardless of what even, even what they say, actually. Because even God can't please everybody. And I'm probably out of line by saying this this morning. And like I said, my friend Pastor Dan will probably agree with this. There are churches in this world that Jesus himself couldn't pastor. He might last two hours and out the door he would go. Because they have built up such a sense of control that when you come in, you walk these steps, you do this, you do that, or you're out, which is a tragedy to me. You're free when you get to the place where you can say this, God likes me and I like me, and if you don't like me, that's your problem. He wants to set you free from pressure and conformity. As this William Shakespeare quote says, expectation is the root of all heartache because you can't meet it. We're fortunate to meet the expectations of one other person, let alone a group. Christ wants you to be free and to be yourself. He says, I want to set you free from the expectations of others. So I ask you this morning, are you struggling right now in your life? That you feel like that you are a puppet, that people has you under their thumb, and it's causing you grief and heartache, actually. Are you pressured by the expectation of others? Trying to cope with the standards and lifestyles of other people and trying to keep up with them. You know the old adage about keeping up with the Joneses, it's impossible as well. So I ask you this morning to let Jesus Christ simplify your life. You have to decide on your own that you're going to live for Him. It'll make you a better person. It'll make you a better partner. It will make you a better parent. I want you to pray with me this prayer. You don't have to bow your head. You don't have to be on your knees. I just want you to say this with me out loud this morning. Let's, let's pray. Lord, set me free from the expectation of others. Help me to focus on you and allow my relationship with you to be one of freedom because your heart's desire for me is that I live free in you. Forgive me, Jesus, for letting myself be controlled by anyone except you. Give me the wisdom and power to live totally free in you. Thanks, Lord. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this morning, you've never accepted Christ, feel free to come because there are people here that love you and want to show you how. So go be yourself.